So we're in a, a sermon series that uh, we've titled Simple Church. And before we continue forward in that series, I just want to do a real quick rewind and talk about some of the things that, that we've uh, mentioned. And so we began with the word simple. And by the word simple, what we don't mean is easy. Uh, there's nothing easy about, about being a church, but what we do mean uh, by simple is that a, a simple church is a church that has done the hard work, the complex work, of figuring out who, who she is, who is the church, and what have you called us to do, God? What is, what is the unique thumbprint that you have placed on us as a church? What is our mission? What is our vision? And then once the, the church does the hard work of discerning that, a simple church is a church that is laser-focused. This is what we're called to do. This is who we're called to be. There's a hundred other good things that we could do, but... But for the sake of the mission, we really need to zero in on that. So one, a simple church is laser-focused on the mission and the vision. Two, we said a simple church is spirit-filled. Remember the disciples all together? And, and Jesus had said to them on multiple occasions, I want you to go and make disciples. You know, the, the mission is urgent. But before you go, he said, wait. Wait for the gift that I'm going to give you, the Holy Spirit, and after I give you the gift, then go. Uh, it's so important that we go in the power of the Spirit. Remember the Pharisee Gamaliel, who got up and said to his Pharisees uh, to leave the disciples alone? He said, if what they're doing is just a work of man, it's all going to amount to nothing. Like If what we're trying to do as a church is not Spirit-filled, Spirit-led, we're going to create a dust storm. We're going to do some activity, but it's all going to amount to nothing. So we go in the power of the Holy Spirit. We're led by the Spirit. The second thing we said is that a church is Christ-centered. So, so the Spirit came on the disciples, and they started to proclaim truths in foreign languages, and a, a crowd gathered. And so Peter took the opportunity to address this crowd. This is his very first sermon after Jesus has ascended. And what does he talk about? He talks about one thing. He talks about Jesus Christ. He talks about Jesus being crucified. He talks about Jesus being risen again. And lo and behold, what happens? 3,000 people come to Christ. The scripture says they heard what he said and they were cut to the heart. That is why we major on Jesus Christ. Because Jesus has a way of finding those cracks that exist in all of our lives, that exist in all of our hearts, and he has a way of getting into, in the, into our hearts. And so the message is not improve yourself. The, the message is not, uh, you know, here's what should be your political opinion. The message is not uh, all of these other things, that morality, you know, just, just do this, don't do that. The message is Jesus Christ. Salvation is found in nothing else and no other name than the name of Jesus Christ. And so that now takes us to this morning. Peter preaches the message and the people say, what shall we do? They're cut to the heart and they say to Peter, what should we do? And he makes it very simple. He says this, repent. That means like do a U-turn. Turn towards Christ. Turn away from those other things that you've been trying to fill your mouth with. Turn towards Christ. Repent. 
and be baptized. Be baptized. That means join the community of faith. Publicly profess your faith in Christ and join the, the church. Join the community. Repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. This promise is for you. This promise is for your children. This promise is for all whom our, our Lord will call. Straight to the point. And those who accept his message get baptized. And it's this incredible number. 3,000 people. I mean, think about Jesus' ministry. He begins with a handful, 12. And during Jesus' lifetime, that grows to, to 70, maybe 100, 150. One message after the resurrection, and we've just added 3,000 people to that number. I've been thinking about that number, and, and I'm troubled by it. What would we do? Think with me today. Crossview Church proclaiming the, the message of Jesus Christ, calling people to be baptized, to repent and be baptized, what would we do as a church if by the, the miraculous power of God, the grace of God, 3,000 people heard this? I don't know, maybe online. 3,000 people. You share this message. 3,000 people. They, they are cut to the heart. And, and they want to follow Jesus. What would we do as a church? Are we prepared for that? It's super easy to dismiss that question because, I mean, is that going to happen? Probably not, so it's easy to just kind of let go of that. Let's change the number. What would we do if 300 people today? There may be 300 people through the, the power of the Internet that, that hear this message. What would we do if there were 300 people who were cut to the heart and said, I, I want to make a turn in my life, I want to follow Jesus I want to get baptized. I want to join this, this Crossview Church. Are we prepared for that? I don't think so. But again, that's a pretty outlandish number. Pretty unrealistic. So, so let's change the number. 30 people. Okay. What will we do today? 30 people. They call me up on Monday morning. They say, hey, we just want to let you know that we were moved, that, that Jesus spoke to us and we want to give our lives to Christ and get baptized are we prepared for that here's where I've been troubled this week I haven't been thinking about 3,000 or 300 or 30 I've been thinking about three what would we do if there are three people today who at the end of the service say I, I'm in I, I've been going one way and, and I recognize it's getting me nowhere I want to trust in Christ. I want to give my life to him. I want to get baptized. Are we ready, Crossview Church, to help three brand new believers grow in faith, to develop, to train as Christians? I'm not sure. And because I say I'm not sure, I'm frankly, I'm pretty embarrassed as your pastor that after 14 years, I... I can't say that I've got a real clear plan in my mind of what we would do. We're a church that's been around for over 100 years. You would think that we, we might have a plan figured out by now. So simple church. A simple church is a church that has a plan for discipleship. Our mission as a church is that one more person might come to know the saving love of Jesus. 
And we have challenged everyone here to have one person in your life that you're praying for, one person that you're investing in. So what happens when that one person that you've been intentionally reaching out to and you've been praying for them, what happens when they give their life to Jesus Christ? Are we prepared for that? Praise God, Thursday afternoon, Faith, uh, Joanna Faith, Kaylee Valor are born, these healthy babies. And imagine with me the doctor and the nurses. They've done all of this stellar work to, to bring them into the world and give them this great head start. But imagine with me the scene where they would then turn to one another and in front of Christine and Nate say, ah, we hadn't thought about this. What now? We got these two babies. What, what do we do now? If that were to happen, Christine would freak out. <laughs> and, and Nate would freak out. And, and rightfully so. You see, the, the doctors and the nurses, they don't just have a plan to how are we going to bring a child into the world. They've also thought through what are the things that we need to do to, to provide uh, security and health and get that child started on the right course. It's easy maybe to, to hear about this today and think, well, that's not my job. That's, you know, that's Pastor Scott's job or that's the consistory's job, and it is our job to think of that plan. But this is an all-hands-on-deck. Jesus did not say to pastors, go and make disciples. He didn't say that only to pastors. He didn't say that only to, to church boards. He said that to every believer your charge is to go and make disciples. This is something that requires something from all of us. We all need to be thinking, what is my role in bringing that next person along, helping them grow in maturity to Christ? Every one of us has a role. Be my witnesses, Jesus said. That's what we're called to do. And so 3,000 people get baptized. So I try and imagine the scene. What did the disciples do? I think they freaked out. Like, I mean, just imagine, for three years, they've been walking with Jesus. There's 12 of us. Like, we really know each other. We're kind of in our groove. We know how this works. And the very next day, after this message gets proclaimed, suddenly there's 3,000 people to deal with. And so I imagine they, they called it a, a, an emergency board meeting. <laughs> like, let's get together. What are we going to do? We've got 3,000 people that just said they're going to trust in Jesus and they, they just got baptized. What do we do? Well, maybe what we should do is do what Jesus did with us. I mean, maybe, maybe that's the plan. We just, we do the things that, that Jesus did. And so the, the passage that follows this, I think, is the, the plan that they came up with. This is the plan of discipleship. This is what they, they answered. This is what we're going to do to help these brand new believers grow to maturity in Christ. So let's listen to what they came up with. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together. They had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. 
They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord continued to add to their number daily those who were being saved. So for the rest of this series, what we're going to be doing is just diving a little deeper into that passage and looking at the different things that they did to grow to maturity. But this morning, I just want to spend the remainder of the time focusing on those first three words. They devoted themselves. They devoted themselves. I recently had a a real clear um, snapshot uh, of what devotion looks like. Uh, A couple weeks ago, I joined a uh, kayak fishing association in, in Iowa. And this association, they host tournaments throughout the spring and the summer. Uh, one tournament, uh, one, one weekend day uh, a month. And we had our very first tournament this last Saturday. And so uh, with a friend of mine, a pastor down in Eldridge, we decided we're going to get a, a leg up on the competition. We're going to go down a couple days early. And the tournament was at uh, Lake Darling in Brighton, Iowa. And so we went Thursday night. We camped out. All day Friday, we fished. I thought, I'm going to find the spot on the lake where I catch the most fish. I'm going to find the lure that works the best. And by the end of, of, of Friday, I thought I had it. I had my spot. I caught a couple really nice fish there. I had my lure. In fact, I lost the lure I got snagged, but I knew I had just bought it from Walmart, and so there was a Walmart in Washington about 25 miles away, and so he and I, you know, Friday, we're booking it to Walmart to get this little $1 lure that, that caught fish. So honestly, I'm going into Saturday thinking, my chances are pretty good. That all changed Friday night at 7 p.m., Uh, Friday night at 7 p.m., there was a gathering of all the fishermen who were going to be competing in this pavilion, and and they were going over the rules for the tournament, and it was just kind of a social, like, like meet and greet, and and there were 30 anglers there. That's what you're called, an angler. 30 anglers there, uh, one woman, 29 men, and it took me all of about 30 seconds to recognize one of these fishermen is not like the others. And I'm not talking about the woman. (laughs) Uh, So there were four tells. The the first tell that uh, I was not like the others is that uh, I don't have enough facial hair. (laughs) It seemed like a prerequisite to to be a fisherman. Other than the woman, you've got to have facial hair down to the middle of your chest. It's kind of this Forrest Gump thing, you know, where he goes running and he's running across the country and he just becomes this long bearded guy. I think they spend so much time out on the water that they all have these long beards. I'm like, I don't have the beard. I didn't get the memo that, you know, we were supposed to have beards. The second tell was in my attire. Uh, These guys all, you know, they had these hats with bass on them, and they have these jerseys with all their patches from past tournaments. And I'm like, I'm in blue jeans and a sweatshirt. Like, I I just don't think I, I fit in here. But the biggest tell was out in the parking lot. Out in the parking lot is, just picture it, my white truck with my bright blue sun dolphin, how embarrassing, sun dolphin, kayak. Out in the parking lot, they have these trucks with trailers behind them with these great big camouflaged kayaks that that cost more than my truck by a landslide. 
in these beautiful kayaks and they're decked out with, with trolling motors and pedal drives and these expensive fish finders, it made my bright blue sun dolphin look like a Fisher Price toy. And the fourth tell was simply in the stories. Uh, so after we went over the rules, it was just kind of chatting and, and fishermen, they started to do what fishermen do. They told stories and there were stories of these you know, I caught these eight-pound bass over in this lake, and I caught, you know, these 20 fish in 15 minutes, and, and yeah, this tournament over there, I won that tournament. I came in second. I'm like, I don't have any. I caught a fish about that big once. <laughs> you know, like, I don't have stories. And so, oh, I ought to tell you how it all played out. Uh, so Saturday, <clears throat> went to my spot with my lure, and nothing like I'm catching nothing, and so the day is frustrating, and it's windy, not as windy as yesterday, but, but like that, and so I'm struggling all day long, and at one point, I cast my, my lure into the wind, and the wind catches it and blows it into the branches, and I've got this braided line that's like, you know, it's like wire, trying to, to handle wire, so I'm yanking on it with both hands, slicing my fingers open, just as this guy in his pedal-driven kayak goes by, and, and of course, we have the conversation, how are you doing? How many fish do you have on the board? I'm like, I haven't got anything yet. Certainly, no one's catching fish. Oh, I had mine by like 9 a.m. Like, move along as I'm pulling my <laughs> lure out of the, the tree. What was different, I'm sorry about the, the length of that illustration, but it, it does go to, 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 to this point. The difference between me and them is devotion. These people have been devoted to fishing for a long time. And it shows up in a number of ways. It shows up in the amount of time that they have spent out on a lake. I mean, they have given not just like days and not weekends. They have given weeks and, and years to the, the sport of fishing. It shows up in time. It shows up in how they've invested their money. Incredible amounts of money invested in these kayaks and in these trailers and, and in all of this fishing gear and these fish finders. It shows up in their passion. When they talk about fishing, they just light up. And they're so animated and passionate about it. It shows up in their desire to, to improve, to want to get better. You know, they're, they're watching YouTube videos and they're the ones getting the, the magazines and just pouring over how can I improve as a fisherman. When you're devoted to something, it's really easy to tell. It's easy for everyone to, to, to notice what it is that you're devoted to. We just observe, what is it that you spend your time doing? Where are you investing your money? What are you passionate about? What lights you up? Where is it that you're trying to grow? You're trying to, to, to develop. That's devotion. Bree and Jake are here. I think I saw them. Where are you, Bree and Jake? Right in front of me. In a couple weekends, they'll be standing up here getting married. Super excited about that. And I'm going to ask them the question, do you promise to love and honor one another in true devotion? I ask every married couple this, do you promise to love and other, honor one another in true devotion? The word devotion comes from a Latin word that, that means to make a vow. When we're devoted to something, we, we make a vow to it. We, we pledge ourselves to it. We give ourselves to it. We make sacrifices for it. When we're devoted to something, it's the thing that we sacrifice other things for. 
And so every married couple, they, they promise to devote themselves to one another. So the question for us today is, is what are we devoted to? To what are you devoted? To whom are you devoted? And it's not a difficult question to answer. What do you sacrifice for? Who do you make sacrifices for? When there's a conflict, this is the thing that you choose. You sacrifice other things for this. What do you invest your money in? Maybe that's the greatest tell because none of us are really quick to part ways with our money. We invest in the things that, that truly are, are meaningful and significant to us. What stirs your heart? What are you passionate about? Where is it that you're trying to grow in your life? You're trying to improve. Now, please don't hear me say this morning that it's bad to be devoted to these other things, to our hobbies. Absolutely not. God created us that way. We have passions and we have interests, and, and it's good and healthy to pursue those things. The problem for us is not a lack of devotion. The problem for us is that we're devoted to everything and anything, sometimes except Jesus and except the church. We're called to be devoted to Christ. And if we are, it's going to show up in our time. It's going to show up in, in what we invest in with our, our, our resources. It's going to show up in what animates us and what drives us and what we're passionate about. It's going to show up in that training. I want to grow as a follower of Christ. So 3,000 people come to faith, and then they enter into this training program. That's where we're going to be spending the rest of the time looking closely what is it that they did to grow in their faith. This morning, we're coming to the table for communion. Uh, and as we do, I think a, a good question is, why should I devote myself to Jesus Christ? Why, why should I devote myself to Jesus Christ? And, and I think there's two very clear answers. One is, is because he's worthy. I mean, here at the table, we see a picture of what it is that, that Jesus has done for us, how far he has gone for us. He made an ultimate sacrifice for you. He didn't just pretend like there was no sin in your life and in my life. No, instead, he atoned for our sin, and he did that by giving his life a perfect sacrifice, the righteousness of God for the unrighteousness that exists in me. He gives us kind of this, this trade, this swap. I'm going to give you my righteousness, and I'm going to take from you your unrighteousness. This is the promise of the gospel to all who believe. He takes our sin, and he gives us his righteousness. He is worthy of your devotion. So, so that's one reason that we should be devoted. And the second reason is that he's promised, open your mouths and I will fill them. I will fill them with good things. We have a God who longs to bless us. We have a God who is, he's for us. He's not against us. And so it's easy to, to pledge yourself. It's easy to make a vow to devote yourself to somebody like that. 